0: Hello, welcome to the High Performance CEO Podcast, your exclusive access to the winning strategies and leadership habits of high-performing CEOs from all over the world. I'm your host, Sebastian Schieke, entrepreneur, CEO mentor, and business angel. Sit back, relax, and don't forget to take notes because I'm sure you will be able to take many gold nuggets on how to drive your business forward and develop a healthy and thriving work culture for your organization. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the High Performance CEO Show. And today I'm talking to Alex Koshokaro. Alex is the co founder and CEO of Licenseware. And Licenseware is an open app ecosystem. So, Alex, before you start, what is an open app ecosystem? Hey, Sebastian. Thanks for having me in this uh, early
1: morning. Uh, yeah, an open app ecosystem is basically the disruptive product that that we're trying to bring to market. And when we say open, we don't mean open as an open source. It's open as anyone can contribute and build and make the ep- ecosystem grow organically. So yeah, we're building an ecosystem for IT asset management applications, similar to you know your Android app store uh, or iOS app store, where you can build applications and monetize them while we're doing the same thing but for IT asset management.
0: And uh, where's the disruptive part? So what uh, systems or industry are disrupting with the service? Well, if you look at the ideas and management tooling industry, it's been
1: somewhat linear throughout the years. And uh, the value proposition was somewhat stagnant in the sense that you get this one-stop solution which is built with a monolithic approach. And then you kind of have like a take it or leave it scenario where you either have to go all in uh, with the solution or you start your ideas and management problem without any professional or, you know, tooling that, that can support it. And we feel like it's part of the problem, you know, if you have to pitch to your boss that, you know, software asset management or IT asset management is important for the business and you want to prove the value of this practice to the business, it's sometimes difficult or it's actually difficult for many organizations to do that if you have to request a budget of a few hundred thousand a year. And I'm talking about companies that have around maybe 2,000 devices or more, and the, the pricing level is quite high. And if you want to go and say, I want to save you some money on software, but we first have to invest 200,000 or a few hundred thousand, then it becomes a difficult conversation to have. And, you know, there's a lot more to the story, which makes it even more challenging to actually prove the business value so you can get more mining into your into your RTS management program. So what we want to do is we want to commoditize this tooling that is somewhat seen as a premium element to this investment. And we want to do basically what AWS did for computing. Uh, they are quite a uh, big inspiration for us, uh, where they basically commoditized computing and we made it available to anyone at any scale we want to do the same with it asset management tooling uh, basically allow this it leaders to start off small prove the value
0: the value of the program, and then get further buy-in from their stakeholders i see very interesting so you primarily focus on large organizations uh, with lots of devices and um, at the moment, probably fighting this problem of having a grip on their asset. Yeah. Implementing uh, quite a cost pricey solutions and you're offering a disruptive service, a disruptive product, which changes the game and enables them to slowly scale and slowly uh, implement uh, this asset management. Exactly. It actually addresses
1: companies of any size. Mm -hmm. Including small companies. Like if the companies are really, really small, they can benefit from the applications even free because we have a free tier. But but it can also scale with the business. Obviously, it becomes more relevant for bigger organizations where you have higher spend and higher risk. Within IT, But it's supposed to be for everyone, irrespective of the size and the budget that you have.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. Before we talk more about your company and the challenges, let's talk about you. I mean, you have an interesting story, interesting journey. You are from originally from Romania, Bucharest. Yes. And you made your way through different cities or countries. You worked in in the Netherlands. You worked in, in consulting uh, for a big consulting group. And then as a developer for various organizations. Now you ended up in Valencia in Spain. So tell us a bit about your, your background. So um, how was it growing up in uh, Romania? I mean, I'm personally also from an Eastern country so I can relate to uh, the environment and of course the, the challenges entrepreneurial focused people have in, in a communist country. So how especially was it in Romania?
1: Well, I was born and raised in a small city next to the capital, to Bucharest, called Silpusia, where I spent you know, most of my childhood uh, up to high school. In high school, I went to live with my mom in Spain. I did two years of high school there, which kind of opened my mind up a bit to, you know, new experiences, uh, getting in touch with new cultures. And I was always somewhat left in awe with, you know, uh, the possibilities whenever you get to mingle with different people and, you know, see new places. At some point, I got homesick after about two years and I was missing my friends a lot. I was at that age and then I came back. I finished high school and then I went uh, to study management and marketing in Bucharest and then I think in the second year, I dropped out to pursue a career in IT. That's where I took my first serious job, let's say, as a business analyst for up-and-coming a up and coming Dutch startup called Bile. I was actually there, I think, first or second hired in Romania. So I got to wear a number of hats and I kind of grew up with the company. I did all sorts of things from intellectual property protection campaigns for vendors from the CAD industry. Also did audits on behalf of a couple of major software publishers. And I moved on to the other side where I did uh, consultancy. And then I assisted the companies to reduce the cost, the risk and complexity associated to a software license management. But I was always a techie at heart. So if you look at my career path, like it went from kind of a generic business analyst role to a more and more technical role. And at some point, you know, my passion kind of crossed paths with Belay's initiative at the time to start automating some of the internal processes that, uh, that we were doing. And they were taking a lot of time and making it challenging to scale for the company. So I became very curious about programming and ways on how I could automate some of the analysis work that I was doing at the time. I was spending way too much time in Excel, and uh, although I really like Excel, and Excel is kind of like the bread and butter of our industry, and probably like Mm -hmm. other many other industries. There's a lot of value in being an Excel power user, but at some point, you know, you have to make room for the next step in the evolution of a business process. So that kind of always stuck with me. And at the time, I remember I automated about 60 to 70% of the work that I was doing for uh, Microsoft engagements. And that really inspired me to look a bit forward. And yeah, long story short, After, I think, almost eight years of being in a startup and seeing kind of all of the phases, uh, the growth and also the shortfall at some point, so seeing a bit of turbulent times and and growth again, I I felt like you know I'm having a bit of a tunnel vision, just living, being like a startup kid all my life. So I wanted to see how it is on the other side of the spectrum. So I went to work for Ersten Young in, in Amsterdam. At the time, I was already living in the Netherlands because I moved to work with VLA in the Netherlands. Then I moved to Airsten-Yang, which was totally the opposite side of the spectrum. I had to fill in, wear a suit every day to work, although. You didn't visit customers every day, so that was a bit bit of a culture shock for me. And uh, you know, having that briefcase and going from a MacBook or like a Linux user to things to
0: oh, Windows machine
1: again. These <laughs> machines that oh man, I got so many blue screens on my first laptop, and uh, I really had to make case out of uh, getting a, a you know a more stable one. Uh, but yeah, uh, long story short, after probably less than a year. I got I got a bit sick of this uh, corporate environment. Uh, so I went back into the startup scene, but I thought I'm kind of done with uh, software licensing. I've been in the industry for uh, more than eight years and I want to make a change. So I went to work for a Dutch startup that was doing e-commerce. Uh, so they were building advanced search engines for e-commerce websites. And I took the analytics part because I've dealt with analytics all my life. So I, I was doing a bit of dashboarding and some analytics for the admin portal basically. And at the same time, I reconnected with one of my former colleagues from Bile, which I knew for a very long time. And he came to me with this hobby project. So Chip Leand, uh, he's, he's the original founder of Licenseware and the CTO. And he came to me with this hobby project that he was working on. And this idea this concept that he was kind of thinking about. And I felt like, damn, this is so compelling. And it sounded like the tool that I always wanted to use when I was a consultant and I never had it. And I felt this is also the type of change that needs to happen in the industry. And although I I thought that I'm done with licensing for this lifetime, and I kind of got sucked back in. At first, it was more of a, you know, hobby project, uh, well, an opportunity for us to try out new technologies and codes together, and kind of bounce ideas off each other. And then it kind of became this this startup. And once I moved on to Licenseware full time, and you know, Licenseware is a remote company. We were born during the pandemic, and just made sense to keep going like that because it worked very well for us. I felt like, you know, there's nothing else kind of keeping me in the Netherlands. I mean, I have a Dutch wife and she had some family there, but her parents also moved to Denmark and they're like, we can also just move wherever we want. And uh, why not, uh, you know, we we'll- yeah, more sunny place. I already lived in Spain, and I liked the the culture. I liked the food. So, yeah, we chose Valencia because we feel that Barcelona is a bit overrated, and Valencia was the second biggest city, which was at the
0: beach. So, uh, yeah, that's, what, that's why that's we went for uh, for Spain. Oh. Hey, it seems that you're living the dream of many, many people who are currently working in a consulting role. Also, I have to say, I mean, I also have a consulting background and I agree back then we had to wear suits, we had Windows machines, and but I think... To be fair, life also has changed for consultants. Yeah? So they're also working primarily remote now. They don't have to wear suits all the time. And many companies also approach a kind of an open device policy where people can also work with a MacBook if they want. Yeah. But uh, still, I mean, uh, for many people, I guess you really encountered the, the dream life. You know, you have a remote company. You made the switch from a consulting background, working for a big company, running your own show now, And also living in an area where, um, yeah, you you enjoy the nice weather and other benefits running in a remote organization. I mean, it all seems very enjoyable, but we both know that it's a hard process, you know, it's a challenging way, building up an organization. And when you look back, I mean, uh, you said you started during the pandemic, so your company is quite fresh. What was the biggest challenge in building up this company, say, the last 12 months?
1: Yeah, we started during the pandemic in two thousand and twenty. And for us, talking about myself and Ciprian, because we are the kind of original founders who started building up License, but as as an actual company, the biggest challenge was to build that initial development team that could develop the product and kind of materialize the vision. And uh, we both had limited managerial experiences. So we didn't really manage too many people in our uh, lives. I mean, we were leads on projects and we were team leads. Sure. We manage stuff, but not from a people point of view. And there's a lot of ins and outs to this. It's not just coming up with the product, product, coming up with the stories in Jira and, you know, let's go. It's also the, uh, the soft aspect to it and uh, all the frameworks that you have to put in place and uh, mm-hmm. all the effort that goes into setting your team up for success there's a lot of things that are often unseen. And we always knew that culture was, you know, a very, very important part for starting up this team. And uh, we spent quite some time in figuring out what we are all all about and what we want this company to be all about. And We took some inspiration from 37signals, which is a very successful software company that started off remote and still well known for its uh, out-of-the-box thinking and of of course for the products and innovation that they brought to the software space. And uh, yeah, we took a bit of inspiration from them. We took a bit from, you know, our earlier experiences. Belay was also a good source of inspiration for us because uh, They really built a consultancy firm in a very novel way in almost the opposite side of the spectrum compared to the traditional consultancy firms that sprung up in the industry over the past 10 years. So yeah, coming up with the, with this development team that can produce good quality work at scale and also a team where everyone has fun and enjoys the work and is motivated to you know, do better and make contribute to the product in, in meaningful ways was the biggest challenge, which I think Now, after almost two years of doing it, I mean, more one and a half years to to be exact, it feels like the team is actually crystallizing. And I think if we were to ever become a public listed company or whatever, I think this is the golden theme that we're going to remember all our lives. So that was the biggest challenge, which we almost solved, but it's kind of a continuing... It's a journey.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a journey when you start something, especially when you come from and developer an it background, you often start a company as an expert. yeah, you know developing uh, inside out, you know what you want to create, you're you the, the expert in in building the product. yeah, but then, as you rightly said, you, you develop a team and then you have to change you have transition from the expert to more like a manager role, yeah, where you have to manage the team. But it doesn't stop there. you know when your company is growing, then you ultimately will uh, transform from the manager to the real entrepreneur, the business owner, yeah? who looks at the organization and is not in the organization anymore that, that much. You know, I mean, there's always a mixture between the expert manager and entrepreneurial role. But I mean, I if I would have known this earlier, the first 10 years I was sort of the manager in my first company, you know, and forgot to really develop the right entrepreneurial skills I needed to face some challenges. Yeah, But this looks... Sounds like a really interesting story, and you already mentioned uh, when we will be listed. So you got big ambitions, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Of course, that is the dream to to yeah. you know become a public listed company and be able to materialize the vision to its fullest. And yes, of course, when I started out with Cyprian, we were both two nerds that just wanted to code and uh, we wanted to find an excuse to do that. And um, <laughs> we all thought that, you know, all of those years of experience in, in the uh, licensing space would have went to waste if we would not have kind of materialized it into a product. So the two kind of married together. Mm-hmm. But as soon as we got our first investors and, uh, you know, License card was not just a hobby project anymore. It became an actual company. Business, yeah. Yeah, we had to assume roles. And it mm. was obvious that Chip Gian was going to take the uh, CTO role because he was the more technical from the two of us. And he was also kind of the architect of the entire product. And obviously, I had to take the CEO role, which later on, I found out that I had to strip away everything that I was doing at the time and do something completely different and become a completely different person. As soon as we got this first investment, I actually stopped coding. So I didn't code anymore. I'm, I'm still involved in the product. And I'm very deep in I'm just sometimes with them, but I don't code it. I don't even have an environment set up.
0: Just wanted to ask you how much time do you spend coding? But hey, <laughs> you already answered it. And it's the right decision, you know? I mean, you cannot... When you run a business, you have to focus on so many important topics, yeah, like growing a team and engaging with your customers, developing a division and mission for the organization and being the ultimate leader that if you put your head down on code, you cannot concentrate on the other important uh, topics. You know, I mean, this is the tough decision you have to uh, make. Some people, they struggle with that, you know, because... Inside their core, there are um, experts, there are coders or whatever they are good at. And in this case, they should probably look for a different CEO, you know, who runs the show. Uh, otherwise, this important role is not fulfilled. But hey, you made a decision, and which is very good. You said you got the first investors in, so you are um, probably got some business angel uh, supporting you.
1: Yeah, we did get our first round in May last year. That was the first ever round, pre-seed round, funded by two local VCs from Romania, Early Game Ventures and Fortech Investments. It was a uh, 120k round at a valuation of uh, one million. So that was our first real valuation as a company, and kind of the dry powder that took us to uh, you know our next stage of growth. And that was. Followed up by another round of 500K in December last year. And then that that was kind of the the point where we actually scaled the team from just a handful of developers to many, two handfuls of, of developers because the team is still relatively small. But then, you know, the increase in capacity and the velocity is really, really significant from that point in time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm also a business angel and I talked to a lot of startups who are looking for investment right now. I mean, how did you manage to secure these funding rounds and what you say is the most important thing you need to do as a founder to attract investors?
1: Well, these things we kind of learned as we went along. And what really helped us is to kind of show face in, in the startup, local startup scene. So we attended two programs, Out to Web and Step Forward. That's where we networked. And we met a lot of uh, investors and mentors. And that's also where we found our current investors. And I guess if I look back at our success so far in raising funds, we're actually raising our third round as we speak. What really helped was, first of all, that we had a team uh, where at least, you know, the core team that had relevant experience and a body of work that proves that, you know, we are the right guys for the job. So not only we have this big vision, but we might actually be able to materialize it, and we've proven this, uh, you know, incrementally so far. And aside from that, what helped us was the fact that we already had an MVP, uh, we already had a paying customer, and that was, you know, these are kind of the important validation steps that the investors look at early stage startups. Uh, now, you know. Things are totally different because we are scaling up. There are a lot of other important metrics that investors look at. Traction becomes even more important. The more the startup ages, the more traction becomes uh, important. This is also kind of a weird period. If you look macroeconomically up to 2021. LD valuations were just booming and they reached uh, you know all-time high and then Crazy highs. yeah. <laughs> everything collapsed and it's a very, very strange time to raise funds. The uh, conversations are a lot more tough. Uh, we see that I put a lot more scrutiny in the due diligence process. And it's, I think it's a lot more
0: convincing to actually bring investors to your court. But I would argue it's not bad. Because it really forces you to uh, set up a good foundation in your organization. It really forces you to look at the important points, you know. I mean, during times when money was uh, available everywhere, many people or many companies got funding, yeah, without really trying hard and without really putting the right systems in place, the structure in place and developing the right culture. And then when they hit a challenging time, then they're not prepared. But nowadays, when uh, you they really test you the investors really challenge you you know to build a sustainable and well established organization which uh, helps you in the long run immense, to take on the next challenge and to grow more sustainable and more successfully yeah definitely like this is also almost the type of natural selection
1: that's happening in the market and you know only the relevant and you know strong companies are going to are going to survive but- uh, it also has kind of like a downside to it because all of the valuations went down. So even if you are one of the good startups, you still, you know, take the stick for it because you're going to raise at a much lower valuation compared to the expectations of the previous year, which at the end of the day, you know, it's not such a bad thing. I'm not too down about it. And we're not in general to, we don't feel too bad about it because we're not in it, just for making, you know, like multi trillion dollar companies. It's also not yet. Yeah. Yeah. Not yet. Like, wait until uh, we get to series A or B. Then uh, the expectations are going to be different. But most importantly, we're here because this is our passion. Like, we're currently living our dream. Like, we came up with this product and, you know, we had the opportunity that some. Investors trusted us enough to help us build it, finance it, and, and build it, and make it actually a thing that people are going to use, and they're going to, you know, their life is going to be much more easier uh, when it comes to, to work and stuff. And that's the actual satisfaction that we get. And at the end of the day, we're not looking to have to maximize our equity in the company and keep as much equity as possible, and also not do, go for the highest valuation because, you know, these these aggressive growth tactics don't hold long uh, on the long term, and we just want to build a company that lasts, and a company that is going to become something. Even if, if it becomes assimilated by some other big player in the market, I think the, the contribution from a technology point of view, but also from a culture and mindset point of view, uh, is going to be significant
0: the longer we we stay active in the market. I completely agree. Building a sustainable, long-lasting company, which creates value and also offers a place for the people to um, enjoy working and to um, contribute yeah? is well worth all the challenges and hassle you face and, and will face in the future growing this business. Anything else you would like to share with the audience before we wrap up, Alex? Well, there's some big news coming up. Some interesting
1: product releases, well anticipated products, but also some some interesting surprises. There's a new website coming up as well. We felt like the we kind of outgrew our old website and there's much more to tell and much more to showcase. And of course, I expect an update on fundraising front as well. So uh quite a few exciting updates towards the end of the year stay tuned follow us on linkedin that's where we kind of show our true colors and also on youtube where we have a lot of interesting material as well
0: amazing thanks so much alex for your time definitely company to look out for and to follow your successful growth and for everyone who's looking for some investors i guess this is also an interesting opportunity check alex out on linkedin on other social channels Alex, thanks a lot for your time today. I really enjoyed it. Really uh, cool conversation. Thank you. Awesome. Hey, this has been the High Performance CEO Podcast. Join us again next week for more winning strategies and leadership habits from high-performing CEOs worldwide. If you have any questions or feedback on today's episode or would like to be a guest on my show, email us at success at We would love to hear from you. I'm Sebastian Schike, thank you for listening.